the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Brian. Hey, Brian McClure is back in the house. The last time you were on the show, we were talking Midnight Madness. Yes. Now we get to talk something else from your nostalgia. Uh, But before we dive into that, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Just, you know, remind us who you are, what you do, and why you have some pictures of cats behind you. (laughs) Um, I'm Brian McClure. I live in North Carolina, right outside Raleigh. I work for a medical company traveling from hospital to hospital, repairing chemistry analyzers and laboratories, things like that. Three paintings from a friend of ours, um, of our three main coons, are behind me. They did portraits for a Christmas present. And Maine Coons are like those really big ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our our boy's about 22 pounds. One of the girls is about 16. The other girl's a little smaller, about 12. But yeah, they're big, hairy cats. (laughs) Okay. I've I've had a few big, hairy cats in my days. I've I've seen a few. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-hoo! Woo! How about that? All that 70s porn you've been watching, huh? Yeah, you know what? I like I like it vintage. <laughs> so, all right, today, via Brian's requester, uh, you know, thanks, thanks to Mr. McClure over here, we are going to be talking the 1985 film Lady Hawk. We're going to discuss Voltron, Defender of the Universe, and then do a recasting of Lady Hawk using actors of today. Um, I'm excited to talk about this stuff with you, but uh, the first thing I wanted to mention, I've never even heard of this movie. John, what about you? Have you heard of Lady Hawk? I have not, and this is the second time in a row that Mr. McClure has picked something that neither of us had even heard of. Exactly. Not even just seen. Never heard of. Yeah, the, the first so. one, I, I can understand. This one is a little bit more shocking. You've never heard of it, but okay. There's at least a little bit bigger cast in this one. It, it definitely has a bigger cast. Uh, I would definitely give you that. So, all right. Um, before we get into each of those different properties, John, I want to be set back to 1985. We've actually done 1985 a good bit recently. I know. I'm starting to run out of 85 fun facts. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> maybe you got one more in the nugget in there for us. Uh, so what do you got? All right. The movie was released on April 12th, 1985. The Billboard Top 100 single for that week is One More Night by Phil Collins. Very nice, nice slow jams. Kind of a sensual song, too. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings, no surprise, was The Cosby Show. Yep. The New York Times bestseller was a book called Family Album by Danielle Steele, a author who we've mentioned a lot and probably will continue to mention a lot. Yeah. Earlier that year, Atari re- released the original arcade version of the game Paperboy. Oh, what a good game. 
Yes, I loved that game, and I was horrible at it. Same way, man. I was could any, never really get was get anybody through. good at it. Yeah. <laughs> there was always one kid. There was always one kid who was just freakishly good at it, and we could never yep. figure out why he was so good at it. Yep. Yeah, they could like throw it perfectly into the mailboxes or the front doors. I never could. I'd always like fuck up everywhere else, and the dog would catch me or other shit like that. At some point, I would just aim to break the windows. Yeah, they right. <laughs> And my fun fact for 1985, this was when Coco the gorilla got her pet cat. Oh, good. If you remember Coco. the big deal about Coco getting a pet cat, Coco the yeah. gorilla who could sign and all that. Mm-hmm. All right, that was 1985. All right, well, I feel a curse upon us as uh, we start talking Lady Hawk. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. The BFOP Network has partnered with 80stees.com to uh, give you guys a fantastic deal. If you go to 80stees.com and use our code BFOP, that's B-F-O-P, you will get 30% off your entire order. I've got a shirt that's come in. It is fantastic. They have got tons of different merch options for any kind of 80s thing that you love. I can guarantee you're going to find it on 80stees.com. Their shirts are awesome quality. The one i am got on right now is fantastic and soft. Fits perfect. So make sure you go to 80stees.com and use the code BFOP, that's B-F-O-P, for 30% off your order. Lady Hawk from 1985, directed by Richard Donner. Uh, Y'all should know Richard Donner movies. If it was not Superman, it's Goonies or the entire Lethal Weapon franchise or Scrooged. He has done quite a bit of fantastic work here. Unfortunately, we just lost him a couple months ago. Oh, really? I I didn't hear that. Back in July. Wow. Okay. Man, that's a shame. Uh, The screenplay was written by David Peoples who actually wrote some pretty important and good stuff here. Um, also wrote the screenplay for Blade Runner, for Unforgiven, 12 Monkeys, among some other things. Adam, I, my my info is different there. Hold on. Possible I have a bunch of people credited for writing the screenplay. Yeah, that didn't sound for me. I know one guy who wrote it where there was a big lawsuit about, um, I think it was Warner, that like, oh, this is based off a true legend or myth and it wasn't and there's was some lawsuits going on oh david peoples was the one person who was uncredited <laughs> for some <laughs> reason there's a bunch of other people and i forgot to look them up i don't know why i went over to david peoples uh specifically well that's the one i'm gonna talk about screw those other people yeah edward <laughs> karma really is the one that was that had the big lawsuit gotcha but did enemy mine and, okay, some uh, other person wrote some Bond, did some screenplay for some Bond movies, um, other stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Karma well. did Dragon the Bruce Lee story in Merlin as well. Yeah, those are worth talking about. <laughs> 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 I mean, actually, I like Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Um, I never saw the Merlin movie, and then, yeah, Enemy Mine it just did not look great. But, uh, yeah, so anyway. I, I, so Enemy Mine, I think, is a classic. That's definitely one we're going to get to eventually. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. Y- yeah, it's... It's pretty It's pretty damn good. Okay. And, well, I remember it being pretty damn good. Okay. Well, we'll see. Maybe, yeah, maybe so, I'm not... Just maybe I have a misinformation in my head, or we'll see. Yeah, it's right there okay. in that Louis Gossett Jr., like where he was just coming out with stuff all the time. Yeah, remember that, so... All right, well, something that's not in dispute. Uh, cinematography was done by <laughs> Vittorio 
Satora. Oh my god. Why do I, I always screw butcher names? One of the many Italians on the movie. Storaro. There you go. Yeah, one of the many Italians. Vittorio Storaro. Um, and he was also the uh, cinematographer for Apocalypse Now and The Last Emperor and Dick Tracy. Uh, another Warren Beatty movie, Bullworth, which is kind of interesting. Um, but also the Dune miniseries, I think from the year 2000. Oh, nice. So. That's a good miniseries. I, I'm I, I'm kind of like a mild Dune fan, mm-hmm. but I think that miniseries... Get, went a long way for for me enjoying the story. It's one of my wife's favorite stories. Yeah, and I tried watching the old '80s movie, and it's just it's just so bad. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, are y'all yeah, excited a- for the new one that will maybe come out eventually? I am. I'm excited to see what they did with it. So am I. I mean, and that's a hard one to do. That that book is so much like thought that it's mm-hmm. it's hard to adapt. But yeah, the that sci-fi series was it was good. Yeah, cool. cool. Uh, the cast in this film, uh, Philippe Gaston is played by Matthew Broderick, who uh, was, I think, hot off War Games before this one, but uh, not quite yet Ferris Bueller. Um, he was also in Godzilla, The Producers. Y'all know Matthew Broderick. Navarre is played by Rutger Hauer, who y'all should recognize from Blade Runner. And also he was the hobo in Hobo with a Shotgun. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think that's, you know, maybe maybe something to get to. Uh, Isabeau is played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who we probably best know her from as Catwoman in Batman Returns. But she was also in, back in the day, Dangerous Liaisons, Scarface, Grease 2, uh, plenty of stuff. Yeah. The Bishop was played by John Wood, who was uh, uh, Falcon, uh, was it Fal- is his name Falcon in War Games? He was like the, uh, yep. the uh, creator Falcon. of the, yep. yep. The creator of the of um, the machine, oh, and then okay. in, hmm? I didn't make that connection. Oh, yep. And then Imperius is played by Leo McKern, who was in uh, the Blue Lagoon and A Band for All Seasons, some other little stuff. So, all right, Brian, why are we talking Lady Hawk? So, as we John and I already mentioned, it's obviously not in our nostalgia. Uh, didn't even know it existed. So, this is a film that ties to you because you picked it as a patron you get to pick whatever the hell you want and you've done so before and you're going to continue that trend so yeah why are we talking ladyhawk um this one um you had recently covered princess bride i saw this and princess bride if it wasn't in the same day it was close together in the sixth grade for whatever reason it was one of those days in school where you're just watching movies and i for so they're linked together it's princess bride and ladyhawk princess bride yes much better movie that's it's not the argument but that's how they're linked together <laughs> Before this one, like fantasy movies as a kid, remember Beastmaster, and then this one, very different. Beastmaster is kind of like that Conan, true mm-hmm. fantasy. This is fantasy, and it wasn't really even until like a few years ago that it was like, oh, this is actually supposed to take place on Earth in Italy, like not some like mystical land, but mm. you know, here. Okay. Um, there's some reference to the Crusades and things like that, so it's just, but. Well, let's get into our breakdown of Lady Hawk. And we've been begin with some title cards and some very cheesy 80s music.
I was about to say, Adam, I'm shocked you didn't mention the composer. Yes, and so was I. Because of how, how should I put this? Important the music is to this movie. And I'm it, not necessarily saying important in a good way. Yeah, it, it's it's dominating. The music is dominating in this yeah. film. Um, but yeah, I did not mention that person because I looked them up and they really didn't do other shit. That, yes, this they was did. The first no, thing that Andrew Powell was the composer, but he was the session recordist for Alan Parsons, who was the um, engineer for this, the producer for this, the Alan Parsons project. So that whole okay. group did this soundtrack. And that okay, that's fitting that the uh, that Alan Parsons project because you get that synth style um, mm-hmm. that you'll get in the Alan Parsons project into here. But yes, I I didn't mention it because he had this was really one of his only film or one other. He only did one other one that I'd never heard of, so I didn't bring him up. But I I didn't realize he was part of the Alan Parsons project. Yeah, the music. Let's just let's just talk about it since yeah they started off pretty intensely. It doesn't fit with the style of. <laughs> The fantasy and the no. time frame it at all. <laughs> it does not. It does not. And Donner wanted, he wanted something, he wanted the Alan Parsons project. He was a fan of him. And it was that change of that classical fantasy music to what was 80s synth. Good or bad, but that's It what. dated the film. Yes. Uh, I yeah. would say pretty, uh, you know, I, it hurt it. I, I would say it hurt a bit of it, you know, just because it, yeah. So there, um, but it being, I like the '80s, and so at the first, at the first bit of it, I'm like, okay, this is funky. This is something different. It starts kind of rocking. And I'm like, okay, I'm digging it. And then it went on for fucking way too long. Like the opening <laughs> credits went on for way too long. Um, we start off with kind of somebody digging through some kind of mud and dirt. Um, we see a hanging at like this church place. These uh, guards are about to get Philippe. To hang him, but he escaped. He's the one who is digging, and he squeezes through uh, to escape from this uh, dungeon that we find out later that no one has ever escaped from before. And we also see just outside of the town this person who's got like a hawk. They're kind of robed. They've got a hawk, and um, they're just, you know, obviously setting up some things that we're going to find out who all these people are. And we see that Philippe uh, uses the water system in town to get out. This was also kind of the start. Like, he, he talks to himself a lot in this movie. Not so much yeah. fourth wall of Ferris Bueller, but you see where it kind of came from for Ferris Bueller. I I was yeah I was thinking the same thing actually when when um, when I was watching it I was just like wait I was waiting for him to look into the camera and he didn't really because he in his head he was kind of like talking to God as he put it he was right, talking yeah. back and forth with God uh, but I saw that and I was just like wait was this before or after Ferris and so since it was before I'm like you know what I can kind of see casting directors seeing this or, or another director seeing it and being like. Oh, I like it. He does a good job of talking to himself, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Guards send, get sent out in search of him. More 80 synth going hard, <laughs> so I put it. <laughs> and again, we get glimpses of that roped person with the hawk. Uh, so Philippe gets to this little small little taverny area or inn or whatever just outside of town and idiotically starts boasting about of break- breaking out of this dungeon the guards are right there. They're kind of hidden. They're cloaked. And then they're just like, yep, hey, you fucked up. <laughs> and they start going after him. Uh, but we see a little, you know, he's sneaky. They, he's called the mouse and probably for good reason because he can kind of scurry around pretty quickly. And my head, I went like, wow, okay, so we're recasting this later. I'm like, you know what? If they did this today, they would include parkour like crazy in that little parkour. scene. Parkour. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore parkour. And they go, they go nuts. And, and it was... 
it was interesting to watch this. Like, you see kind of just all the bumbling guards chase him, not doing much. And the captain of the guards just, yeah. like, he, he's just sitting there waiting. Like, he's, mm-hmm. like, you know, and then he finally he's, sees him on top of the little thatch roof, and he's like, yeah, okay, get down here. But never, he's the only one that seems to be collected through the whole thing, is it's just a bunch of bumbling idiots. Yeah. All right, they do get him, and as they are about to slice his throat or cut his head off right then there, we meet Navar, who is the robed hawk guy who comes in and saves him. Uh, and so now Navar has to fight with the guards, which one of them is like, oh my god, it's Captain Navar. So obviously there's he was the captain at some point. We find that out. Um, and, you know, he fights wonderfully, not quite accidentally, but because the other captain pushes one of the guards into killing one of his former guys. Uh, not that it really means anything, but just interesting. And he grabs Philippe, and they head on their way. Uh, they arrive arrive at this kind of small farmer's place, who's got, like, these little huts or whatever, just to get lodging for that night. You know, that evening, or that, that middle of the night, which nobody, I realize, nobody needs sleep in this movie, really. Well, Philippe, <laughs> Philippe does a little bit. But, like, we're going to get to the curse. But my first thing is, like, do these fuckers not sleep at all? Like, like what's up with that? I, I, I get the impression because they, they, I think they mentioned they're not aware of when they're in the other form. Yes, yes And I think exactly. that's when they, they sleep. So, like, the, the Hulk is asleep at night when she's awake and yeah. when they're transformed. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, they don't sleep, but eh, maybe they do. Maybe they're, they're conscious sleeps. You're right. You're right. It's just their, I guess they're human brain that 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 consciousness is taking its rest because yeah they did mention specifically like you know they're unaware um you know of the other person so meaning like you know even though there is still an attachment the hawk has an attachment to navarre and the wolf has an attachment to isabeau um they're still not like you can't really talk to each other and he doesn't remember anything that happens that night so yeah that makes sense i'll give you that so um gaston is uh, uh philippe is about to head out and he's going to ditch Navarre uh, that evening. But then here's some branches snapping in the woods. And so he's all scared and he starts booking it and he kind of, you know, gets uh, back to that place, that hut that they were at. And then he finds, we find out that the farm guy who was really creepy when we saw him the other time has an ax and he's about to kill them. Uh, But luckily a wolf comes and kills him instead. And uh, we also here meet Isabeau who, Come o- comes over and stops Philippe from shooting the wolf with a crossbow. Um, so we never did get a real reason why the farmer was gonna not even a little attack bit. him. The only thing I can think is because when he when they first write up and Navarre asks for lodging, and Philippe jingles the coin pouch that he stole, and so unless if the farmer was just going to kill him for the money and weapon, you know, yeah, but a, a little shot or something, you know, like. Tied on the pouch and then tied on his face, like staring at the pouch or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Just a little bit of motivation would have gone a, a, a long way because I was uh, similar with John. I was just like, whoa, that went from zero to 60. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> he does jingle, you know, because he talks about how um, they're willing to pay, I don't know, for like to help out impoverished people or something. And he jingles the pouch. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is kind of out of the blue, but that's the only thing I could think and, of that he but was. That is, and that is good motivation because they're obviously in the middle of nowhere. They don't probably have much money. But you just need a you need like a single shot of the guy looking at the pouch and then kind of looking back up or something. I'm just I literally just yeah. the tiniest bit of motivation would have would have helped. So the next day, uh, he uh, tells Navarre about this whole woman and the wolf, and he thought it might be a dream or whatnot. And Navarre's like, No, 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 I I believe you. You know, sometimes these dreams are real. 
And we just intermittently, we find out, you know, we see that the head of the guard still hasn't caught Gaston. And we meet this evil bishop guy who wants to go after Navarre and you really, you know, wants to kill him for sure. So, okay. Not sure about all of that just yet, but uh, we will learn as the story continues. Uh, we find out that Navarre has this badass broadsword, like a big fucking like Highlander Claymore kind of sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's it's a family heirloom kind of thing where each person gets to put in like a specific rune or stone or whatever when they complete their mission for the family or whatnot. And his is to kill this evil ass bishop guy. He's going to fuck him up. And so he wants to put in his stone for that. Um, and he specifically has saved Philippe because he'd overheard that, that guy, that Philippe was the one who um, escaped from the uh, the the dungeon and so he's like okay you can sneak me back in because they everyone else recognizes him and he can't get into it so that's that whole gives like the motivation as to why they're together and why he saved him and all this kind of stuff so that's cool and i think it was right around here for special effects where he throws the sword at philippe philippe had been chopping he gets mad and if you watch i mean if you slow it down you can see the string but he threw the sword because there was no cgi in 84 so it was the sword missing broderick because on a on a string to get it there but (laughs) <laughs> this is one that you, you hope works out you know yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh that night uh philippe sees the lady again um he has her undo uh the straps that it obviously navarre kind of put like a <laughs> strap on him to keep him there which i thought was just kind of funny i think it made kind of sense and so helps him he helps to get out or helps him to to get out of that which of course the second she lets him loose she he runs <laughs> and he's he's getting out of there. Uh, in the morning, Gaston uh, Philippe is caught by the guards, and though luckily Navarre finds them that day, and he fights with the guards, and uh, unfortunately his hawk that he loves so much is shot with a crossbow bolt, and he too is shot with a crossbow bolt, uh, but he fights through it, and he uh, gets to the bird, and he's all worried about it, and he's you know trying to take care of it, and he has Philippe take the bird to this monk that he knows named Imperius. So he has to go to like this ruined castle uh, to help save the life of this bird he loves so much. There was a great line here. A lot of just throwaway jokes where he comes up and like says he has a hawk and purse. He's like, good, we'll come up and roast it. He's like, oh, we can't eat this. Yeah. Oh, God, is it Lynn again? <laughs> like, yeah, like the monk's just like not even sure when it is. Yeah, I agree. I did like that line. That was absolutely, that was that was humorous for sure. Um, so we uh, we see and we meet this imperious guy. He's a bit of a lush. You could kind of tell. I could tell pretty quickly. Uh, but also he, once he saw the hawk or found out, you know, oh, this is Navarre's hawk. Oh, shit, he kind of sobered up immediately. He needs to help it. And so he starts gathering herbs, and when he does, Gaston re-enters uh, to the, in the little castle that he's got, and he finds that the lady is there. Isabeau, this beautiful Michelle Pfeiffer, is there with a bolt right in the section uh, where the hawk was. And so, okay, it's not just a hawk, and it's not just a lady. It's a lady hawk. Lady hawk. <laughs> That's right. Dude, I absolutely sung lady hawk like that to myself because i was thinking silver hawks and then that theme song so the entire time when i saw lady hawk in my head i was i did the same thing lady hawk i was gonna say just i mean yeah you know just talking about how he's running away obviously from navarre it makes sense he runs away but yeah if you see you know michelle pfeiffer and he keeps going back to her just kind of he's enchanted and they talk about this coming up just like she kind of enchants everybody just the way she looks 
Yeah, yeah, beautiful lady that, you know, immediately people fall in love with her. Uh, we kind of see a side story, or the um, bishop sends out basically this uh, this hunter guy uh, named Cesar to go after Navarre, Cesar and Navarre. Um, but I did recognize that guy. I assume y'all did as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's all we're going to talk about. We're not going to oh. mention who that was. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I, didn't I was know trying to wanted. set you up to talk. Okay. All right. I'll do it again. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that was Doc Ock himself, Alfred, Alfred Merlina. That's right. Uh, the last time we talked about him was when you, me, and Ken discussed uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think. Mm-hmm. And he had a small part and in that one. He looks so different when he was younger as opposed to when he got older. Yeah. I actually kind of prefer the way he looks when he's older. I don't know if that's a weird thing to say. But I just think I I think he looks better as a bad guy when he got older. Does that make sense? Yeah, this one he looked particularly weird and scruffy and whatnot. But I agree yeah. though, like because he hadn't grown into the Alfred Molina I recognize, right. and so like honestly, I wouldn't if I didn't have IMDb up with me. I wouldn't have recognized him as Alfred Molina in probably either this or Raiders. Right. Just because, like, yeah, right, I agree. He did. He does totally has like a different feel and a different look to him. Well, and um, this yeah. one, you, I mean, his face is covered by someone. Just always like the cowl and the shadows. Like you just, yeah, you, you never really see him. You know. Oh yeah. And yeah. It, I, mean, I mean, he's a creepy looking motherfucker in this one for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, Imperius uh, tells about the story of Isabeau and Navarre. We find out, obviously, you know, at the day. Imperius talks a little bit about Isabeau and Navarre, who obviously must be the wolf and she is the hawk. Um, we find out just basically their background that this bishop guy loved her. As you said, she's, he was enchanted by her. He, lo- he just fell in love. Um, but she was already in love with Navarre and they had a true love. Their love was better than the other love that that guy had for her. <laughs> and so Navarre was the captain of the guard. And so they had to kind of have theirs be a secret love. And... Uh, the bishop, the bishop, then puts a curse on them, uh, so that way they could never actually be together and never touch again. So that means during the evening, Navarre is turned into a wolf, and during the day, uh, Isabeau is turned into a hawk. And so they know this about each other, um, but they cannot see each other, cannot touch. Well, they did say they're in between in that little in between day and night time. Uh, there is they can glimpse at each other. Just a fleeting glimpse, uh, which is tragic all right. in the same time. And we get a scene of that coming up, yeah, where the sun is rising and they get that brief second. And Exactly. Uh, the bishop sends off Cesar to find the man and the wolf he wants. Cesar specifically has a whole bunch of wolf pelts. He is obviously, that's what he does. He goes and kills wolves. Pyrrhus thinks he found a way to break this curse. Um, but Navarre's not really hearing it. You know, he all he wants to do is kill the fucking bishop. You know, that's his mission. He doesn't he doesn't believe this curse can be lifted, um, and so he just wants revenge. So uh, the the guards get to him. Uh, they're all trying to escape. They get to the top of the tower. It's uh, like Philippe and uh, Isabeau at the top of the tower, and he can't hold on to her because he's just a weak little mouse. Uh, he doesn't have good grip strength um anyway but uh he ends up dropping her uh in perfect timing mind you with uh the rising sun and she ends up turning into a hawk in the middle of her fall and she doesn't die and she can fly away how fucking lucky 
Is it now, mind you, I could see that coming from a mile away. Yeah. I mean, you could see what was about to happen, but it, in my head, I was kind of like, you know what? That that kind of works as the as a as a you know story moment. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes. Sometimes the predictable is what you want in a movie. And when mm-hmm. some people say like, "Oh, that's just too unbelievable," but I'm like, that's what movies are. They're the right. unbelievable stories. If like, you can't the- sus- if you can't suspend belief that a man will turn into a wolf when a woman turns <laughs> into a hawk, then you can't suspend disbelief for anything. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely yeah. And, uh, part and while of that it wasn't the transformation scene from American Werewolf in London, you know, but it's by no, 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 no. Don't defend <laughs> it. Like it was literally just. <laughs> Some cross dissolves into each other. Um, I think the, of, idea, the idea was good. The execution was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Navarre kills the remaining guards, whatnot, uh, because obviously it's daytime now, and so he's back to being a, a man. Imperius tells them, you know, about breaking the curse. But as I mentioned, yeah, Navarre's like, yeah, fuck this. No, I just want to go kill the dude. So he and uh, Philippe head out. They head towards Aquila. Uh, which is the town that the, that he came from, that dungeon that they was at. Which is Latin for eagle. Oh, okay. I don't know if that makes a difference. I just It'd be better that. if it was for Hawk. You're right. I agree. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, they uh, I don't know what way. Latin for Hawk is, but it probably doesn't roll as well. Yeah, probably <laughs> not. That night, uh, Gaston, he kind of flirts with Isabeau. That was kind of, you know, he does like he's dancing with her and other stuff. Did anyone else find that kind of weird? Or was that more, you think, part of her enchanting qualities? I just took it as part of her enchanting qualities. I mean, he's falling in love with her. I think as every, you know, as the bishop did, as anybody who's around her is. I mean, he's yeah. he's this prisoner who's been mistreated. Navarre mistreats him. And then here's this woman who at least shows him compassion. He made a comment earlier that he didn't know who his mother was. So it's this mm-hmm. lady who is at least a few years older than him that isn't trying to kill him. Like everybody else in the world is. So, I mean, it, so he just he has a hard on for anyone not killing him that has boobs. I, I, well, it's I a mean, good it's, argument. It's Michelle Pfeiffer, so I mean, I don't know what more you want there. <laughs> she is very attractive, but I don't know. I, I didn't like the short hair, though. No, I agree. I, I mean, I, I typically am not a short hair kind of guy. Anyway, I like longer hair, and I don't think it looks as good as yeah, her or longer hair. Um, but like, my whole thing is he knows how vengeful. And angry <laughs> Navarre can be, and he's still trying to hit on his girl. Maybe it's because you know he does. He knows the wolf won't remember anything, and he just lied to the guy. He was in prison for however long he's in prison for. I mean, it's sort of like when you're at sea for months on end. You know, uh, you would know anybody would looks know. good when you pull into port. <laughs> like yeah, like the the whole like the manatees, the uh, right. the guys seeing a manatee and being like, oh, it's a beautiful uh, right. lady. It's a it's a mermaid. No, it's a fucking manatee, my man. <laughs> Don't fuck that manatee, please. The, the short hair <laughs> comment was interesting. I was reading about how Donner wanted her to have long hair because usually that like, kind of the fantasy princess long hair and Pfeiffer's yeah. one, like, nope, want my hair short. It's hot. And it was a battle and she finally won that battle, but she wanted it short. Huh. Okay. But as Philippe and Isabeau kind of step out of uh, the place that they're in right now, step outside and they see Cesar, who has a shit ton of wolf pel- pelts and Isabeau's all freaked out. She thinks one of the dead wolves must be Navarre or whatnot. He just kind of laughs and goes away for the moment. But Isabeau is all pissed off and hops on a horse to chase him down. This whole scene was weird. It was. They, they really tried to do a mindfuck stuff with us, but it was kind of strange because then, you know, they're like, okay, here's a dark wolf that gets captured by him. But wait, it's not actually Navarre. It's this, Navarre's another dark wolf that kind of comes in. That was strange. And then you had the whole thing with like Philippe, like, 
chasing him away with the sword. Yeah. Like it, it just, it was, we, the whole thing was weird. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I thought if, and I, I watched this again last night and I, but I think right before you chase him away, doesn't Navarre and the wolf show up and like snarl and that's what causes him to right away. So, I mean, he, he does. He may just not have an opportunity to kill the wolf. I mean, obviously he needs to kill it, but. You're, well, you're at a slight disadvantage if you can't the wolf, surprise him. Navark shows up afterwards when they meet up with him, but he has set all those traps, um, and Navar comes at that point. Oh, that's it, right, yeah but, yeah. but we're kind of tricked into thinking Navar was this other wolf that I swear looked exactly like the Navar wolf, but it wasn't <laughs> really him, uh, and he trapped that one. But then Navar comes, and oh my god, yay, and then... Alfred Molina get, gets his head caught in a trap and he's dead. Which is a vicious way to go. <laughs> it is. Agreed. I mean. So, yeah. A bit confusing, but, you know, in the end, they all get to continue on and Caesar uh, is no longer a threat. Imperius catches up with uh, Navarre, trying to convince him, still, don't kill the bishop. You know, we need him to help break the curse. Uh, Philippe tries to appeal to Isabeau on their whole plan. And so they end up kind of using Isabeau as bait to trap the wolf. Uh, but instead, before that happens, the wolf falls into a frozen pond and Philippe has to jump in and help it. And they save it. They save the wolf. They save Navarre and they save him and whatnot. And then here is that brutal scene, Brian, that you mentioned earlier, where at dawn they get a glimpse of each other just during that transition you know just a little glimpse of each other and their love and yet they cannot touch and it's just like ah it's heartbreaking for him philippe and isabeau hide all right this is another thing that confused the fuck out of me (laughs) but maybe i just missed something um so philippe and isabeau they hide his big ass sword to push him away from killing the bishop right yep so they hide that and when he ends up see he ends up seeing kind of like these scratches on Isabeau, which could have been sex scratches, uh, but were <laughs> actually they were the wolf they were wolf scratches uh, from when he ended up saving the saving Navarre in the ice cold water, um, and so he's you know maybe starts to shift his mentality, but uh, ultimately they do end up getting to a kid. Do they give him back his sword and we just don't see it? No, you you see it once they're back in the so he's got the other shorter sword that 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 he uses. You know, he's got like the two swords. He's got he's got the shorter sword, but I don't remember him getting the big sword he, back. He does. Um, at at the end when they're in the the chapel. Um, See, I remember seeing him with it, and it made me angry because I'm like, no, when Phil- did he get it back? Philippe because it was hidden. Because when Philippe runs out, he gets it from. He does. Yeah, he okay. gets it and runs back in, and he he slides it to him. Then then I just missed. It. I was probably taking a note yeah. or something like that. Um, because I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? How did he get that? back? so yeah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So. All right, so they get yeah they get to Aquila that night. Uh, Philippe breaks in through the waterways uh, the way that he kind of snuck out before, and then into the church. And Navarre very set on killing the bishop right now. There was a w- weird scene there where Philippe climbs up and he, the guy's standing on the grate and you know he pokes it, and then like they all just move off. Had he waited a few minutes, everybody would have just moved on anyway. Exactly, like, he risks getting caught. Another weird scene to me was. When they kind of go in, um, and before he's about to start his mission to kill the bishop, he uh, Navarre tells Imperius, "If you hear the bells ring, that means the bishop is still alive, and it was a you know non-violent service, um, and so that means I'm probably dead, and so just kill the hawk." And I'm like, "What the fuck? Like, can't you just <laughs> let her live her life a little bit? Like, literally, you're just making the assumption that she can't live without you." And he's like, "Make it a swift death for the hawk, like." 
I thought that was a bit of a dick move. Well, I mean, it's either the 80s or medieval times, and if the guy can't live, then the girl can't live, right? <laughs> I mean, if I can't live with her, then nobody is. It was. It just seemed like, you know, he was um, being a bit melodramatic and, and going to have his, uh, his buddy kill the hawk just because he couldn't be with her. I don't know. It's fucking weird. So, anyway, uh, Navarre gets in. Uh, he has his guards, and he, you know, he's still fairly intimidating with them and friendly with them so they let him pass him being their once captain uh he enters the church just in time to save philippe he was who was fucking up because he snuck into the church from down under the waterway uh but then navarre and the current captain of the guard have a little fight that wasn't very good it's just like the the, the choreography the choreography could have used i mean it could have been updated i would say yeah mm-hmm. I, I thought the first part like the Kind of the the joust with swords, the horses through the chapel was was good, but then once they got off, yeah. it was like, eh, okay, they're just, you're right actually because that was kind of epic and, and and interesting, and then they just kind of like I don't know, kind of rolled around, and it just seemed like a little eh, kind of a you're right, a, a scrappy little, but not even like a good scrap. And so. did anyone else find it weird that nobody else did anything? <laughs> they just stood there. The bishop just stood there. But the bishop didn't do shit, man. You're right. <laughs> like he could have, hey, he could have told the other guards or pushed. He could have like pushed somebody to go attack. Um, yeah, all right, and he just sat there. or grab a crossbow and fucking shoot. The only thing or, I run can, right. or run away. Yeah. Or run away. <laughs> the only thing I can think is like where the other guards let him in is are they. Do they hate the bishop enough because they realize he's evil? They like Navarre and like, hey, if he wins, then maybe, maybe. we can be free of this evil. Or yeah, yeah, there is that, but you know, you're right. I mean, that's but, that's. But yeah, the bishop. It's hard to the, tell what's going in their mind. Yeah, yeah. During the fight with the uh, current captain of the guard, the glass shatters above them, and then here we see kind of this prophecy that Empiris was talking about, where day becomes night, night becomes day, or not quite day, or not quite night, whatever the fuck he says. It's an eclipse. And so, oh, shit, this is really the thing that he was talking about. This is the time where we can, you know, be together and break this curse. Navarre, now his motivation is to end the curse instead of killing the bishop. Um, but, you know, he's has to fight his way through stuff, which he does. Um, and then it seems like it's too late. Oh, no, the service is over and the bell rings. And so now Imperius is supposed to have killed the hawk. Why? Because Navarre's mean and wanted to just kill a bird. I don't, I don't get it. But that was what's going to happen. Navarre's still fighting. So, you know, he ends up killing the captain of the guard. And he's about to just, because he assumes that that uh, his ladyhawk is killed. Now he is all angry again. He's like, fuck it, I'm about to kill the bishop. But just as he is about to kill the bishop, in walks Isabeau in the flesh. Thanks to this eclipse. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, saw that coming, of course. The bishop ends up at one point about to kill Isabeau uh, because, you know, he's, uh, you know, he wants to, if he can't have her, no one can have her. That's the whole mentality, I guess. With That's one of the things of her, her, her entrapments on people is, you know, if they think if they can't have him, no one can. But uh, Navarre ends up throwing his big ass sword, which I forgot how he got it, but thank you, Brian, for bringing that up. And we saw him throw his sword. He's very skilled at that. And it kills the bishop. My question here is, I don't think the curse is broken, right? Yeah, it's broken because they, they had to appear as in human form in front of the bishop would break the curse. Imperius, oh, that's all it was? Yep. It ha- okay. Yeah, because yeah, Imperius tells him that, that they just have to appear in person. He didn't have to do anything or say anything? Yep, because that, that's why he grabs and tells him to, like, to look at her to look at me, look at us, 
And okay, and then okay, yeah. so the, so the R does have that happy. I yeah. couldn't tell. I I wasn't. Sure. I thought there was something that was missing, and so like they ended up just kind of having this fleeting eclipse time together, and then that was going to be the end of it. Uh, but no, okay, so it gets that happy ending. Um, but here is the part that I do want to call out as as annoyed me. <laughs> they leave together. Yay, joy of being able to touch, and they're extremely happy. They're probably going to bang, and he tells her, "You cut your hair." And I'm like, motherfucker, you just saw her uh, at dawn when y'all flip places. Like, you couldn't see her fucking uh, haircut then? So that, that he, wasn't, he wasn't looking at her hair. I, <laughs> I guess no. Yes. Maybe maybe it was also kind of like the, the sun turning into well, feathers. I don't know. I was going to say there's a short of, shortage of perfect breasts, and so that's what he was right, looking at. Right, to I mean, tie it into Princess Bride. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yes, Philippe and Imperius, you know, they're thanked. And they leave, kind of have some nice little like kind of lines in between them as they head out. And we see, yeah, Navarre and Isabeau about to have sex right there on the church floor, I thought. <laughs> I mean, it's, depending on how long they've been apart, again, you know. That's what it seemed like to me. And that is where our story ends. Uh, Brian, I'm going to let you start us off, man. It has been a while. I assume it's been a while since you have watched Lady Hawk. Uh, so, how do you feel being it in your nostalgia? How how was this for you? So, I watched it again last night for this, and I watched it a couple months ago just to get it back in my memory. I will not go in my mind; it holds up. I don't know if it does. There's there is a lot of pacing problems, and it's probably about thirty to forty minutes too long because there's some weird editing that they're near the city, away from the city, a couple days past. They could have edited out toned it down to about an hour and a half movie probably would have been a lot better as a kid i mean knowing watching it as a kid and now there's i still enjoy it i'm not going to use the phrase that it holds up i don't know if it does or not that's that's a hard argument you you're going to be able to tell that if it holds up today or not as an adult yes i do recognize the pacing problems and some of the editing um and just just a little too long um like i said there's probably about 30 minutes you could edit out of that movie in, in places and and just tighten it up well, John, let's uh, let's start our instance you. It's because you and I have not uh, seen this before. Like, you know, how do you feel? Does it quote unquote hold up? Is it someone something that uh, someone who's never seen it before would they watch it and would they enjoy it? So I imagine I'm going to kind of fall in between kind of how Brian feels about this movie and how Adam is going to feel about this movie. <laughs> how dare you think you know me? Uh, of course I do. <laughs> After uh, what thirty something years of. Uh, <laughs> yeah being uh you know being my brother and watching movies together and yep. four plus years of podcasting exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i got a pretty good idea i didn't hate the movie um yes it had a lot of problems that music went a long way to hurt the movie but in the end i actually found myself liking the idea I like the story idea. These these this couple who cannot be together but are always together. I think the idea was great. I think the execution was poor. Some of the acting moments weren't great. If you've never seen this movie, I really don't think it's going to be worth your time. But again, I found it interesting. Uh, so I believe... All three of our thoughts align very well. I just okay. say them a little bit harsher than everybody. <laughs> but the premise is not terrible. I like this fantasy story, curse, all that kind of stuff. Is a good premise. But it was so 
fucking slow. <laughs> it was uh, two hours long, and I'm right with Brian. You got to cut out 30 minutes. Make this a nice, tight, 87, 90-minute piece, and it would work probably really fucking well. And also, I tie in with John. The soundtrack is so 80s, and I don't mean that in a good way. I love mm. 80s, but it just doesn't fit here. They needed something else. And so all of that clashed. So the movie sucks. But the idea doesn't suck. But the movie sucks. <laughs> and so I'm excited to hear, you know, really this, it hasn't been, it, what it's doing is it's making me excited for our castings. Because I do think we could do a Lady Hawk movie today and maybe call it something different or whatever. Maybe, you know, call it Man Wolf. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. But... Ultimately, I think the fantasy epic romance genre works pretty solid. And I think Philippe could, he, Philippe needed even more comedy to me, you know, but his character is good. I think Matthew Broderick did a damn good job um, as, as him personally. And Navarre, Rutger Hauer is good too. See, Matthew Broderick annoyed the shit out of me. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> he felt, he felt very 80s, didn't he? He did. Like, he kind of did. It, it, it would have been interesting had you seen this movie in the 80s, what your thoughts would have been. Yeah. Now, he he was way too clean. Like, I never – I felt like for, like, kind of a street ratty kind of kid, he should have had some dirt over him the entire time. And he still looked Hollywood, you know, great the entire time. His hair mm. looked, you know, on point or whatever, all of it. Um, but, yeah, movie, meh, idea, solid. And I'm really, really looking forward to our casting because I think – there is a massive potential. I, yeah, I think you, you could easily remake this movie, even if you called it the same and just reboot and, and remade it. I think you can make it, even with the proper CGI, make it a better film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the premise is solid. All right, now we are going to talk Voltron, Defender of the Universe. And before we got going... Um, Today on recording with Brian, you sent us a shit ton of toys and some ba- a badass set that you've got. You've got like a old castle. You've got the all five lions, you know, creating the the Voltron lions. So this is a show that you fucking love. I, I, I did very much. So as a kid, um, watched all the time. I mean, and those the pictures and the toys that I have are from when I was a kid. I mean, there's I've still got the boxes. I mean, they're kind of tape holding together, but they've traveled with me since a kid through various moves and yeah they're still in a closet here um yeah got the full set of dvds including the movie the fleet of doom movie and i was looking back at the years in my mind it was in the fourth grade but i had to be in the fifth grade when it came out in um 86 i remember faking being sick i was sick a lot as a kid anyway but i remember faking (laughs) sick so i could stay home and watch it because it came on at like 12 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something um maybe a little bit later but i wouldn't have been home in time from school so I mean, you, you almost pulled a Ferris Bueller, basically, yeah, but just, uh, just to, to do what you wanted. Yeah, just to watch an hour and a half cartoon that, you know, this is in the <laughs> 80s, like, uh, didn't have a VCR, is going to be on one time and never see so, it again. Did Voltron and the large cats make you excited and love, like, the Manx large cats that you own today? Is that what got, did Voltron ultimately lead you to your pets now? Uh, it may have, Maine Coons, um. Main can yeah, well, yes, I said Manx, but yes, yeah, yeah, subconsciously it's very possible. Um, okay, <laughs> you know I've never really thought about it that way, but yeah, it's very possible. Just yeah. I've always loved large cats, and maybe that's why is just because of Ultron. 
So, yes, obviously. All right, Voltron. If you guys don't know Voltron, a bit of a surprise. It was a pretty big franchise and specifically known, I would say, for that, that first season where they were the cats that came together to, to create Voltron. Later, it's like vehicles, and then they kind of have some different stuff. Yeah, the vehicles suck. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, the lions were the cool one. Um, lions were definitely the cool one. To me, they're the iconic ones. Uh, yeah. So the show, it ran from 84 to 1985. Uh, it had 124 episodes, and that's for like the first season uh, one and two, which is called Voltron Defender of the Universe. It is a Japanese-American production. It was based on the Japanese robot anime called Beast King Go Lion. Uh <laughs> <laughs> interesting names, uh, which was dubbed into English and edited to create these Voltron episodes. And then the following season um, used uh, a different show that I don't think was it even tied into the first show at all no, in no, Japan. It was, yeah, yeah, Japan, it was completely different. They just because of syndication yeah. in the US. And, you know, I mean, and Ro- I love Robotech as well at the time from the 80s did the same thing. They took three completely separate stories in Japan. Yeah. And edited them together for the U.S. for yeah, it was. I won't even call it anime because it was anime. It existed not so much in the U.S. at the time, at least not on a yep. popular level. So it was just the U.S. capitalizing mm. on anime to make it work yep. for kids and toy lines. Fair enough. Yep, and that's per the '80s. It was always about the toy lines. Yep. Uh, John, we never owned any of the Voltron toys, did we? I'm not sure. I have a vague recollection of maybe having one of the cats. I'm mm-hmm. not entirely sure. I do have currently, uh, I think two or three years ago, they came out with a Voltron Lego set. And the actually, you could actually, you built the cats and then you could actually transform the cats to cre- together to create Voltron. That's cool for a Lego set that that were. I, I'm surprised yeah, that you. That is. Yeah. So I actually bought, because you cannot have them both, I bought two sets. Um, and I have them on display, so I have Voltron standing in the display, and then I have all the cats nice. individually right. around him because I wanted to be able to see the cats and Voltron at the same time. Nice. And well, I remember as a kid too that I mean there was a lot of different Voltron toys because there was one that was even a diecast metal set that got recalled, oh. um, either because of metal or lead or something that you know was out for a while and they got recalled right. or pulled from the shelves. And it was a lot smaller; it was maybe twelve or eighteen inches, you know, versus the bigger one, which. The picture that I sent, which is like the normal size one, and it goes with the castle, except he's as tall as like all of a sudden the sizes yeah. just don't. <laughs> they start getting yeah. really weird, but because you had all the figures that could fit inside the lions, but then yeah, it was just a scale thing. Uh, so John, what do you remember watching Voltron? So Voltron, I'll, I'll just say for me really quickly, it was before my nostalgia. I mean, I don't really remember. I, I mean, I was aware of it for sure. Um, it was a pretty large pop culture thing, but it was not really a show that I remember watching all that much. So, how about you? I mean, I I definitely have a memory of it being around. I don't think I watched it very much. I actually didn't watch a lot of the dubbed Japanese anime shows. It just yeah. something about them didn't not that it didn't sit well with me, but it just never drew me in. So mm-hmm. I like that and like Robotech and stuff like that. So I'm aware yeah. of I was aware of them, but I didn't really watch them. Yep. Yeah. Same way. I mean, again, I think we're probably mostly because the premise is freaking awesome. These lions, these big mechanical lions, um, and the toys looked cool as well. So I've also never been like a like a big mech fan. Mm-hmm. Like the big giant robots has not really been anything that's ever drawn me in. Yeah, you're right. That was definitely yeah. Neither of us really kind of 
went that route. So, okay. Uh, the first season, uh, as I mentioned, is about five pilots who command five robot lions to form Voltron. They protect the planet Aris from the evil warlord king Zarkon and the witch Hagar, or Hagar, um, who creates these robeasts to terrorize the planet ruled by Princess Allura. So, uh, the second season of the show was called Vehicle Voltron, based on Armored Fleet Diruger 15, or XV. That was the show that I <laughs> didn't talk about yet. So, uh, the cast of this show, or at least for the uh, American version, King Zarkon, it was voiced by Jack Angel. Um, he has done quite a bit of, like, additional voices and smaller bits on everything from, like, Toy Story, Balto, Iron Giant, Princess and the Frog, Wally, Shrek, just a bunch of credits uh, from Jack Angel. Lance, Crick, Sven, and Shannon were all voiced by Michael Bell. You'd probably recognize him. I think he was Duke on G.I. Joe. He was mm. in Transformers. He was All-Star on the Snorks. Um, and he was uh, Chaz Finster in Rugrats. So I think a lot of our younger listeners or my age listeners would recognize Chaz Finster's voice. Uh, the narrator, Hutch and Corin were all voiced by the great Peter Cullen. Everyone should recognize his voice as Optimus Prime. Uh, also, Eeyore. For a long time, he did the voice of Eeyore. Um, he was Monterey Jack in Chip and Dales, which we've talked about before. Oh. And also, I looked way back in his credits. He was the announcer on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Wow. Way back in the day, That is too. way back there. Yeah. Keith and Pidge were both voiced by Neil Ross, who we've talked before. Um, in American Tale, he played like the um, brother, whatever, like the, the drunk kind of preacher guy or whatever the heck that guy was oh, yeah. um, in American tale. He was on transformers, um, Spider-Man, the animated series. He was actually did some voices on pro stars, uh, not <laughs> one of the main characters, but he was on that just to bring it back to the pro stars episode. Uh, he did voices on attack of the killer tomatoes and centurions and a bunch of other stuff as well. Princess Allura was voiced by BJ Ward. Uh, she was Velma in Scooby-Doo. She actually, she's been Velma in Scooby-Doo since the late nineties. Uh, she was also on the Snorks. She was on G.I. Joe as well. Plenty of stuff for her. And then Hunk and Prince Lotor were voiced by Lenny uh, Weinrib. Weinrib. Um, he voiced and did HR Puffin stuff in HR Puffin stuff. <laughs> and also he voiced crap, Scrap. I said Crappy Doo, but Scrappy Doo. Scrappy Doo is Crappy Doo, in my opinion. I hate that little guy. <laughs> but yeah. So a pretty solid voice cast there. Less solid is the animation. It's early in anime where I don't think anime kind of reached their heights. I'd say maybe in like the later nineties um, or mid nineties, whatever, where they really started pushing the bar with, with animation and style and whatnot. This one, the frame rate seemed really low to me and it just ultimately was just like, okay, this is, this is tougher for me to get through just on an animation standard. But um, what about, what about y'all? Do you guys notice that as well? I did, yeah. It, it's one that for me, if I could try to go back and watch it, I've got all the DVDs, and it, it's hard to watch. Mm -hmm. I loved it as a kid watching it. it. It's a long 22 minutes or whatever. <laughs> like it's just like, okay, come because like, I mean, it, yes, it's very formulaic. They're going to struggle. They're going to do this. Form Voltron slash kill. Move on. But it's just it's like okay, come on. That's it's yeah, it's slow. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me. I mean, and it, very similar because it was a Japanese show, and this is, I think, a forerunner for it 
Um, but one that I'm more nostalgic for, and John and I, we've talked before, is Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, you take different animal mechs that create a bigger mech to fight a big problem that a main villain has brought upon. Um, it is the exact same formula, uh, and it got very redundant. And I ended up watching two of these shows, and I could already feel the redundancies um, that Brian was bringing up. <laughs> the show actually itself, though, is pretty well received, I think, and I think just mainly it's it's overall nostalgia value for a lot of people because uh, IGN ranked it as the 76th best animated series, uh, which, you know, I think is pretty high. When I think of, like, all animated series, period, like, that's still pretty pretty baller. And I think the impact and the toy line are probably part of that. Part of it. Right. And it's had a few reboots, rebirths over time. And, I mean, even Netflix did... Yeah. I mean, it was over a couple of years, but like an eight-season run of it, and from you're right. I think fifteen to eighteen. So I mean, yeah, it's called uh, Legendary Defender. So yeah, they've had um, Fleet of Doom, which was that that movie you mentioned. It was the the third di- Voltron, the Third Dimension, Voltron Force, and Voltron Le- Legendary Defender, as well as a comic book series, and obviously the toy line that we brought up. So it's a fran- it's a legit anime franchise that um, has been able to stand the test of time. Yeah. And then uh, the other main thing I want to bring up is what were your thoughts on the intro? From days of long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, defender of the universe. A mighty robot, loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a galaxy alliance was formed. Together with the good planets of the solar system, they maintained peace throughout the universe. Until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Voltron was needed once more. This is the story of the super force of space explorers. Specially trained and sent by the Alliance to bring back Voltron, Defender of the Universe. The intro, especially the Lion one, the to me it's almost iconic. It's classic. After you watch like an episode, you want to fast forward. It's it's too long. It is. Yeah, too, it uses. You need to hear it once, and you're like, okay, that's really cool. But it's like. This goes on for like six minutes. It feels like you're like just, just yeah. skip, skip, skip. Because they use they use Peter Cullen as the narrator, and it does take for a long time to do the setup each time. Um, and yeah, it is it's fine for yeah, you're right, a one time viewing. But then they needed to just add like a snappy, fast thirty second song in there real quick and get going. Yep. Um, because yeah, ultimately it just takes up too much damn time. And what, what's so. interesting if you watch the vehicle one, they talk a little bit different during the intro. Because in the Lion one, they have to go find they find Voltron. In the mm-hmm. vehicle one, they're exploring worlds to actually colonize because Earth or the Alliance is overcrowded, and they've learned how to make Voltron and how to assemble it. But it can only mm-hmm. be assembled for like five minutes because of solar power. Like it uses so much, so there's a little bit difference. But it's still the until the end, it's the same. But it's the same long introduction of just like mm-hmm. okay, yeah. Um, and Robotech's the and, same way. Like I love Robotech, Robotech and yeah. it was a great intro. But it's this nice musical thing but again it's it's just it, you're like skip like you hear it and like skip <laughs> skip skip come on yeah yeah uh the only other thing that i kind of want to mention is a lot of these 80s shows have really iconic villains 
whether it's Mumra or uh, Skeletor or Cobra Commander, that to me they come across. They have very iconic voices and iconic looks. I think King Zarkon looked okay. He looked not as good as any of the ones, but honestly, I don't think his voice matched um, his style. And I think ultimately, like you got to have a badass villain, and he just he wasn't badass enough for me. Yeah, him and Lotor, both their voices quite weren't right. Like, Hagar had the bed, like, your evil yes. voice. She was the one that was like, okay, that's the true evil. Um, but right, yeah. yeah, they're just... I, I wholeheartedly agree, you're right. Yeah, Hagar definitely had the better voice. Even though I'm not sure Hagar was a female in the Japanese version. I, it, I couldn't tell. It didn't, she actually, like, that character actually looked like it might have been a male in a robe and not a female. But it doesn't matter. Maybe, I but. think there is somewhere in the series where they talk about before she kind of got transformed uh, okay. um, when they show her like I guess as human or as a person and not the kind of witch that she became if I remember right gotcha. it's, been a, okay. it's been a long time anything else from Brian or John on Voltron otherwise I'm kind of tapped out I, I watched two episodes I guess how, what did you guys watch uh, in prep for this episode I, I only watched one I was going to watch two and then I ran out of time but I kind of I felt like I got the gist of what was going on Okay. I enjoy the first five. So my favorite character in Voltron as a kid, even now, was Sven. And he's only in it like for the first five episodes. Disappears, he comes back a little bit later. But the yeah, first five, I saw because... the episode where Sven comes back, and I gotta say, Sven was my least favorite character in the episode. <laughs> that was so... He was so fucking annoying. Yeah, and, and maybe... I don't know, maybe he watched the first five, because the first five are, are tied together. It's, it's okay. one story of they go there, they get captured, they come back, they find Voltron, all this... And then he gets injured and finally gets captured and ends up like under Zarkon, like in the slave world. And that's when the princess comes out and takes over his lion. So I don't, I mean, it, it may have been my favorite because he was one that was never used. But yeah. Yeah. Pidge was kind of a tiny little horny dude. That's what I noticed. <laughs> uh, the first time, because I saw the episode where he like first sees Princess Allure and he's like, damn, I want to get me some of that. I mean, basically. He's kind of like comic relief, but that was okay. But yeah, so. Um. Yeah. Let's uh. Let's start off with uh. We'll start off with John, and then do me, and then we'll end with Brian. Yeah. It it hurts not having a real nostalgic tie to the show. I understand its impact. Um. And I think if we had had the toys, it might have been different. But we didn't, and so. Uh, in, you know, we've we've talked about this with other '80s shows, where sometimes the animation doesn't quite hold up. Um, you know, when you're older. So in this case, that's and as I mentioned before, Japanese animation, especially the earlier stuff, was not one I got into. So it, it didn't quite hold up for me. Uh, so the things that you've made us watch, Brian, are Midnight Madness, Wings, uh, Lady Hawk, and Voltron. And you are one for four because uh, I love Wings. Uh, but ultimately I did not enjoy watching Voltron and it's for the same reasons that John talked about and for the stuff we already brought up the animation just it's not solid even like you know some of those good 80 ones I'll, 80s shows I'll, I can still watch and be okay with like we talked at Brave Star I really enjoyed ultimately the show just felt lesser it's not as good as Thundercats it's not as good as Transformers it's just ultimately a lesser show and because I don't have the tie it's just always going to be a step behind those and so you have only given me 25% of quality shows so far in our episodes, just letting you know that. Maybe that's my goal, is to make you suffer. <laughs> that's, you're, you are doing a great job at that, sir. So maybe I'm three for four. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to me, and I can see, I mean, like I said, I 
as a kid, I love Voltron. I, overall, I think my love of Robotech is more, but Robotech to me is a longer series. You could watch an episode, but it's each episode was tied to the previous episode, so you have to watch hours to even get the story. Whereas Voltron, you can watch it. it it's purely episodic. Like, okay, you can watch yeah. this episode, you can watch this episode. Occasionally, there's some tie-ins, but not really. It's very standalone. I think like if you're trying to break down Robotech, you would have to spend a lot longer to go through the whole series to break it down. Mm-hmm. And that was part of my reasoning when I was kind of battling between the two of like Voltron and Robotech. It's easier to recap Voltron than it is Robotech. True. Um, Very true. Just based on time and everything else. Yeah, it is. It is a lot harder. Why? Like you watch it, and it's just like uh, every episode is the same. You know, it's they're going to struggle. It's going to be this robeast, and they're going to try to fight it with lions. It doesn't work, and form the big giant robot. Okay, and it's over and slash. Oh, move on. Um, <laughs> but damn, as a kid, I loved this show. Watched. I think it was on every day right after school. Is it after school or before school? I think after. But every day, watch this thing. Like I said, and even skip school in elementary school to watch the movie. So. It, it does hold okay. a place in my heart as a child. And props for that. <laughs> and props for nothing else, but props for that. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... From days of long ago comes a legend. The legend of Voltron, defender of the universe. Five fearless lion robots. Black lion. Green lion. Yellow lion. Red lion. Blue lion. Go, Voltron Force! Who together form Voltron. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Lady Hawk using actors of today. And as somebody mentioned earlier, as I was watching this movie, I also was thinking, you know what? This movie would be ripe for a redo or reboot, however you want to do it. And I think we can do it better, especially nowadays with you know the technology we have. It could be a lot of fun. I will say I envision this making a better series, maybe a limited series, than I do a movie. I don't know that, especially nowadays, I don't see sort of epic fantasy films like this really making it uh, in the theaters as well. I like that idea, though. I think that's actually a very good idea. Give this to Stars, HBO, Showtime, I don't know, or or Amazon Prime or something. And yeah, give it like a 10-episode run. Um, maybe if, you know, you can expand upon that afterwards, but then you could do, you could really dive into, all right, let me get some, some flashbacks of the Bishop Navarre and Isabeau from a back in the day as an episode or other. So yeah, you could really fill in some of those things that we yeah. missed in, in that movie. Yeah, you I could, think yeah, we all, cause you ahead, could even Brian. do like the, even like Philippe's story of him getting into prison, all that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, I like that, that would be a solid. Uh, all right. So we are going to do the characters of Gaston, Navarre, Isabeau, Imperius, and... Just Bishop, Bishop, the yeah. evil Bishop, the whatever evil Bishop. his name is. Yep. I don't even know if they ever give his name. Like he's he's credited as Bishop. Uh, yep. There it is. Um. So I, as I was watching this, I felt like we could have also casted the other, the actual captain of the guard, because um, he does play a pretty substantial role. But yeah, ultimately that's fine. Um. So let's start off with Adam, and we're gonna kind of go backwards up of that line. 
Adam, who did you cast as your bishop or the bishop? The bishop. Yeah, I didn't go as old as the bishop that they had because um, ultimately I kind of wanted to have my Isabeau Navarre and the bishop kind of around the same-ish age um, just to kind of, I mean, didn't have to be, but I mean, they're, they're close enough for me, but not really. I guess it doesn't really fucking matter. Um, ultimately, <laughs> I want somebody who was a great villain, and I think he he was a less than good villain when he played Barty Crouch Jr. in the Harry Potter series, but he was a phenomenal villain when he played the Purple Man in the Jessica Jones show. I went with David Tennant as my bishop. I think that's a great idea. I feel like he's played... Has he played a bishop in some sort of show? I feel like he has. Oh, it's very possible. Yeah. Um, not that it, not that this would be the same thing, but I, I do uh, love David Tennant, so I'm I'm all for cool. that. Okay. Uh, all right, uh, Brian, we'll go to you. Um, casting is always you'll you'll do this much more regularly than I do. This is always hard, but for the bishop, to me, it was more about the face. I wanted somebody with the right face to play this role. Yeah. You got to have a face to play the Bishop. And <laughs> so I went with somebody who has a very iconic face. I went with Willem Dafoe. I'm not against that. I'm not against that. Yeah. Not against that. I, I, I thought some of those kind of like classic villain guys like him. And I don't mention the others in case John mentioned it, but like there's, yeah, there's a few guys that I think um, fit in that mold that fits our already with the actor who played it before. And I think Willem Dafoe is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not against that. I, went with a very big name actor who is very good at playing villains and because I really wanted if I'm gonna if I'm casting this as a series I really want a real menacing bishop I had actually a little hard time taking the other bishop seriously yeah yeah. (laughs) just I don't know maybe it had to do with the 80s look of everything but I went with Gary Oldman okay yeah yeah I think Gary Oldman fits very well with that um uh, similar with Willem Dafoe. Uh, he's a great villain. Yeah, the other two guys I thought also kind of fit very similar kind of age range in that group were Ben Mendelsohn mm-hmm. and um, Mads Mikkelsen. We've used them both, yeah. you know, plenty. <laughs> way like, too many times. Them, way too many times. Um, but I think Gary Oldman would do a great job. He's a great villain actor. Yep. Uh, all right, let's go to Imperius. And I'll have uh, Brian start us off. So this one, I, yeah, I met, my gut instinct to start with, this is not who I cast, but I was almost thinking Jack Black. But I wanted, because I think he could bring the comedy, but it was just then, like, you want that little bit of seriousness. And uh, I went with somebody much older, but I went with Oliver Platt. Okay. Okay. I like that way better than Jack yeah. Black. If you're gonna, I was about to shit on Jack Black. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like, like, <laughs> it, like so that was just kind of the gut, my, that first gut. And I was like, man, I was like... Yeah. Yeah, I think Oliver Platt, I mean, if you think back, even going back to the Three Musketeers, yeah, earlier yeah. stuff, and then even now, I think he could fit that role, has kind of that offhand comedy, mm-hmm. but can be... I will give you Oliver Platt, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- totally, totally works. I, I gotta say, Brian, I'm kind of, in, I'm, I'm impressed with that yeah. casting. That's a that's a solid, solid casting. Yeah. I like mine a little bit better, but of course that's me. Um, I didn't go with sort of the roundish guy. Um, but I did go with an older actor who I love and would like to see in more things because I haven't really seen him in much since the end of Game of Thrones. I went with the Onion Knight himself, Liam Cunningham. 
Oh, okay. Thought you were about to go Mark Addy. Okay. Uh, but you just said you didn't go with the round guy, so. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do want to see, definitely want to see uh, the Onion Knight. Why, why, why can't I remember his name? Liam Cunningham. Yeah, Liam Cunningham. I want to see him more and stuff. I, I think seeing him in as kind of like a the drunk, yeah. almost comedic bishop or whatever, monk he was, whatever it was. Yeah, monk. Um, yeah. Would be an, an interesting take for him. I wouldn't shit on that. I, I, I like him quite a bit. Okay. All right, Adam, who so. did you go with? Yep. Um, I dove, yeah, similar, I mean, not into the super comedic aspect, um, but I got like some eccentricities from Imperius a little bit. So I got an actor who I think does pretty darn well with eccentricities. I think he could play like this lush as needed and just kind of, you know, but also come across as, you know, a monk and serious when he needed to. Uh, He's a little bit rounder, but um, I think it fits really well. I went with Forrest Whitaker as my Imperius. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting call. Seen him in Rogue One. He's very eccentric. Yeah. In that, he's just he Whitakers all over it uh, in that movie, <laughs> and I feel like he could bring uh, another Whitaker vibe uh, to this one and, and be kind of just like a good little side kind of guy. So. All right. Yeah, I don't hate it. Cool. Uh, all right, Isabo. I I'm gonna go ahead and jump in with mine. I kind of just first of all, I stuck to exclusively British actors. Even though this doesn't really take place in Britain, per se, but nowadays, all the roles are going to British actors anyway, so I figured this would be the best <laughs> shot. So I went with uh, someone who I think has kind of gotten shit on in the last five or six years um, because of a role she played in a trilogy, and honestly, I think she deserves a better shot because I actually enjoyed her performances despite the bad storytelling in the, what she was in. Uh, I went with Daisy Ridley. Not all at once? Okay, fine. Fuck y'all. Okay. Yeah, I don't... Hmm. I didn't mind her in Star Wars. The problem is I watched Chaos Walking. And... <laughs> oh. I saw some clips oh. from that. Look rough. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. You don't. Just... No. I don't know. You, you Maybe I'm one for three. Maybe you would like it, but I don't That one was... It was... That one was very rough to watch. Okay. I, I, she's, I think she does have the acting chops. Yeah, I think she could do it. Um, I think she just has to get the right script. Okay. Okay. All right, Adam? I don't think she has the acting chops, but I think she's cute. So okay. does that help? I was not asking what your opinion was on her. I was asking for your choice. <laughs> I'll probably my favorite scenes are when she's going to be the hawk, I think. Uh, but no, it's not bad. I mean, she's she's okay. Um, I went. I tried to go with a more regal beauty. Uh, I, see, I think of Michelle Pfeiffer. I think of just classic regal beauty to her. Yeah. I kind of dove into the fantasy world with this, um, but I think it fits really well. And she's done kind of this time frame incredibly well in multiple shows. And she is absolutely drop dead gorgeous. I think she would be a fantastic lady Hawk slash Isabeau. I went with Natalie Dormer. I'm never going to say no to Natalie Dormer. Yeah. (laughs) You yeah. could you could tell me she's gonna play Winston Churchill and I'd be like, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and she's and she's I think I mean she's a great actress. She she's proven that. So with the with the Tudors with Game of Thrones, yeah. she's she just she takes this kind of epic fantasy genre and she does a great job with it. Yeah, I won't argue with that. Okay. Um, I went. It's a role that doesn't have a lot of speaking parts. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer was just kind of there to me. It was just the her presence of almost ethereal or airiness, um, especially like with the Hawk. And even though 
rumor that this person may no longer be acting, maybe you know, there's conflict. I went with Emma Watson. Oh, I had not heard that she might not be acting. Yeah, I didn't know that her either. Her social media has went dark, and originally she said she was t- stepped back, and then one of her managers was like, no, she hasn't stepped back from acting. Uh, I don't know, it was just kind of weird, but she's, like, social media she's stepped completely back from and is disengaged. And so Well, I mean, I don't... Social media sucks. I don't blame her for that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, but people took it as like, oh, well, she's just stepping away from everything, um, you know, so... I don't hate yeah, Emma you know, Watson. But, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I hate the with. choice of Emma Watson, yeah. is what I'm saying. No, yeah, I, I, I don't... Completely just I do think mine's the best. We all did go British actresses though. Every single one of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Okay. So right now, Isabeau is kind of up in the air, I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure I won. <laughs> uh all right. Do we want to do Gaston or Navarre? Because it it starts out as Gaston seems to be like he's gonna be the lead, and then it kind of turns and into Navarre. Is, yeah. All right, so let's let's go to Gaston. Uh, and Brian, I'm going to swing back around to you and have you tell us who you picked. Well, um, I picked, I'm going to say this is the modern day Matthew Broderick. And based on your recent episode of Ferris Bueller, um, it was the same pick there. Um, because I had I'd already had this in my mind of who I was casting even before listening, or I guess it wasn't a recent episode. I think I went back years from early episode of Ferris Bueller, mm-hmm. just my listening order. But I went with Tom Holland. Tom Holland was my gut reaction, and then I ended up changing that only because I've gone with Tom Holland way too many times recently. Adam, thoughts on Tom Holland? Uh, My thoughts on Tom Holland, I think it fits incredibly well. Yeah, the Ferris Bueller style, he has that that comedy, even like that mousy kind of qualities that we see to it in Ventures, and that's why I also picked Tom Holland. (laughs) There you go. Well, now I'm the asshole because I didn't go with my gut reaction. <laughs> yep. We could have had a three-way, John. You, me, and Brian could have had a three-way of casting. Uh, all right. Well, then I'll go ahead and state mine. I went with a actually lesser-known actor. I decided to go that route. I wanted to go with a, a British actor who is younger. This kid is 17 right now. So he And he actually looks young for his age so he's gonna definitely have that mousy quality to him i decided that i liked this kid for this role um i saw him in the kind of modern retelling of i think it was a kid in king arthur's court no oh it's the kid who would be king excuse me oh okay the kid who would be king which i think was a uh, was like a kid like a young adult novel series that they turned into a movie um but it starred uh, a kid named Louis or Louis Circus, who is the son of Andy Circus, and so that's who I went oh. with was Louis Circus. The picture that's up on IMDb, I think, is like three or four years old. Yeah, he looks. He, he looks, looks like very he's very young. Nine. <laughs> yeah, but he's seventeen now. Okay. So I thought he did a really good job there, um, and I thought if he's going to have physicality, having someone like Andy Circus be your father would help with maybe helping him get the into the physicality of uh you know what Gaston did um cuz he was you do see him like crawling around and stuff a lot of things so okay. uh, i i know i knew it was going to be a bit of an underwhelming pick because i didn't figure you two would yeah. know him all that well so and that's that's the only thing i have to say on it is he looks he looks even like a baby face even now but i mean as a as a as a kid you know little thief i think he probably could work and I will give you. He's got the pedigree. Um, if he ha- if his if he has his dad, you know, coaching him a little bit mm-hmm. in that, you know, does he does he have the 
charm that Matthew Broderick or Tom Holland have right. hard to say. So he'll be our backup if Tom Holland says no. <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> I don't know uh, if Tom right. Holland knows the word of no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Navarre, uh, our lead, who actually I had read was originally going to be Kurt Russell. Yeah. And then what? he oh. dropped out and Rutger Hauer, Rutger Hauer stepped in. Okay. So I don't know if I would have liked Kurt Russell in that role. Yeah, I agree. Honestly. I actually think Rutger Hauer was the better... Yeah. Choice, actually. Um, all right, Adam, why don't you start us off with your Navarre? Sure. Uh, I went with a guy who has, I think, proven he can, especially, especially if we turn this into, you know, an, an adult fantasy miniseries, I think this guy uh, can absolutely lead it. Hell, you don't even need to see his face because he's that good, but he is a great actor, uh, and he actually, you know, Worked across Natalie Dormer for a short time until his head was exploded off. Um, but he is a great actor, and I think he totally would fit the feel of a Navarre to me. I went with Pedro Pascal. I cast him a lot, but I do because I like him, and he's good. Okay. I like Pedro Pascal, I, and I like okay. him in this. I initially wanted to go with a kind of an older, because Rutger Hauer had that sort of older, yeah. established kind of feel to him. And so yeah. someone like Pedro Pascal, I think, works really well with that. Yeah, and that's that is also that kind of the age range with him fit with me um, as a one to one from Rutger Hauer to to him today. Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and go next. We'll let uh, Brian have the last word. Um, I did kind of struggle with this one. My initial choice was actually to go with an older actor, and I actually wanted to use Ian Glenn, um, who was in Game of Thrones um, as um, Jorah Mormont. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I've used him a couple times recently, so I stepped away from that. And I thought, all right, if this is, is going to be a mini series, who else can I get that's going to be a face to draw people? And honestly, right now, there's, there's few bigger faces uh, that can draw people than Tom Hiddleston. So that's who I went with. I, I, I- I think that works though. I, okay. you know, he's, he doesn't, he has much more of a youthy look than Pedro Pascal, but maybe we rough, I, rough him up a bit. Maybe maybe get maybe, him like a yeah, full beard yeah. or something like that. Make him look a little older, but he's got the acting. I yeah. like that. Okay. I was, I was laughing because originally I was even thinking of Tom Hiddleston as the Bishop um, early on. I could also oh. see that too. I could see him do that too. You know, but then I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, do we want to see the Tom Holland, Tom Hiddleston matchup again. So that's, that's also ultimately why I didn't go with, with the, I didn't want to turn mine into the tale of two Toms. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So that, and that's, that's a, so that's why I dropped Hiddleston. But for Navarre, I, I went with the game of Thrones route with somebody who um, knows the sword is more muscular than Navarre is shown, um, but knows the fantasy world. Um, I went with Jason Momoa. Thank If you want to turn it into a sexy, Sexy yeah. movie, yeah, I could see that. Although, I'm trying, I'm trying to find ways to shit on this choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we we both like Jason Momoa, but where where I would um, divert from that, he can do the action, he can look menacing, but I think there is a dark, brooding sadness that Rutger Hauer actually did a good job on, that I think Pedro Pascal could do a really good job, and I even think Tom, Tom Hiddleston could do a good job on, that not to say Jason Momoa is a bad actor, I just don't think I can see him being, you know, in like that deep, 
relationship, you know, love, loss, pain, where the other actors, I think, could fit them better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But maybe he can show us up. You know, he's an actor. He can hopefully do that. But I just, I've seen it from those other guys more. And I think, I think they, they, it fits better to me. So I really hate to say it, but I'm kind of with Adam on this one. Yeah, I think it's. The, I think it's. Why the, do you wait? Whoa, 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 whoa. Why the fuck do you hate to say that? Because he hates agreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just. I. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm. I'm shitting on your choice, but I just think like I think the emotional necessity yeah. uh, required for this. J, of the three, definitely of the three choices, I think Jason's going to be the lowest one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Like I said. And maybe it's because I just I get in my head, I get like the Aquaman, my man, and he's just throwing a trident, and you're like, ha I'm awesome. And he is awesome. Don't mind yeah. that. He's fucking awesome. But I was just thinking think about even at Game of Thrones is watching it through that arc of, of the the barbarian sure. and kind of where he starts to, you know. Um, All the emotional scenes that he has in Game of Thrones, he barely speaks, though. Yeah, he just sits there. <laughs> Literally, he's like he's like a, a tomato, and, and, and Danny has to act around him. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that was our recasting of Lady Hawk using actors of today. Brian, thank you so much for joining us for another episode, man. I know we well, should make you suffer again. <laughs> You're doing three out of four. Three out of four. <laughs> Please join us next time for another album review episode. John and Adam get their jam band on as they talk track by track the Dave Matthews Band album Under the Table and Dreaming. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get